0: Welcome to another episode of the WBT, originally planned to accompany 9 11 and the US withdrawal from Afghanistan. Since the planning of this episode, the country fell to the Taliban, casting things in a very different light. Joining me in reading and discussing Don DeLillo's Falling Man for this episode are repeat co host, journalist, and author of Stampede, Gold Fever, and Disaster in the Klondike, Brian Kastner, and Brian Turner, an American poet, essayist, and professor. Turner, I'm going to go by last names here for obvious reasons. Won the 2005 Beatrice Hawley Award for his debut collection, Here Bullet, the first of many awards and honors received for this collection of poems about his experience as a soldier in the Iraq War. Kastner, Turner, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you guys.
0: Today, we're talking about Don DeLillo's Falling Man. And this Novel, almost novella, it's not a particularly long novel, is set during, immediately before, and after 9 11. And it follows two different types of characters. It follows a family, which is reunited through 9 11, through the figure of the father, a man named Keith, who has survived 9 11. He's escaped from the towers. And the Towers coming down precipitate a kind of reconciliation with his estranged wife. And as they're navigating the aftermath of 9-11 and some possibility of reuniting, it also follows before 9-11 the path of one of the terrorists who's on, I can't tell if it's the first or the second plane. And he starts off in Germany and then he's in Florida and then he's on the plane for listeners who know anything about Don DeLillo, it's sort of classic DeLillo, uh, very postmodern, very uh, resistant to emphasizing any particular narrative, any particular viewpoint as essential. It does an excellent job of giving each and every one of the characters their own voice, their own trajectory. But I have to say, and I say this with All due respect for DeLillo, uh, almost all of whose books I have read uh, over the course of my adulthood. This is one of the most frustrating. I really felt like I wasn't at the end of the the story, I wasn't left with much of a story. I don't know, what did you, what did both of you
1: think about Falling Man? Um, You know, I'm interested to see where both of you, where you land with this. Um, I For me, there's one thing. I like circular novels where they sometimes fold back on themselves. So not to give it away for those who haven't read it, but the novel's been around a while. I'm a latecomer to it. I just read it this last week. But um, it's the the way it wraps around on itself and comes back to the beginning, it's really questionable to me. And I I guess there's several things. One is um, it's it's a 9-11 novel. But at the same time, part of me, and I guess this is a question I have, is like I don't even know if it's actually about 9-11. I think it might be about her father. And that was the initial impetus. That's the smoke and the, that, that muzzle flash of her father committing suicide is the trauma that they're all walking out of and it's connected to. And then the, Keith has his own trauma. I, I kind of feel like, you know, to make the, the, the third, main, I guess the third main storyline is, is you know, the terrorists coming across over and then uh, starting to go to flight school and that type. But they're, they're at the tail end of each of the three sections for the most part, right? And and we don't we don't really stay in their lives too much. I'm, I know I'm rambling a bit here, but I guess I have some question. I'm I'm kind of troubled by that narrative a bit. I don't I, I see it in my own work. I, I've tried to do some things where I've sort of tried to cross the battlefield and to walk across and to to see all sides of the battlefield. But this one doesn't feel like there's enough oxygen given to that part of the narrative, or the way it is to the other two. So it's uh, so that's why I start coming more and more back to the 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 earliest thing in the narrative is the father committing suicide, even though it's a memory. That's why I kind of start going back to that. And the echoes of that smoke is throughout all these different images throughout the book. Uh, that are, It's just fascinating the way he does it. I, I love that part. Um, and then I guess to get, to get back to that circular, the, the big thing for me is whether it's a, if it is a 9-11 novel and if it circles back on itself at the end so that he's walking back into the rubble, walking back out of the rubble at the end, what does that say about us as a country? Are we are we sort of in this loop of trauma that we can't get out of?
2: Yeah, I, I don't even know where to start, Brian, on some of the, I mean, you raised so many good points there. So I would, let me first start by agreeing with you. I don't think it's a nine eleven novel. I agree that I feel like DeLillo was initially drawn to this family story. For me, it wasn't Leanne's father committing suicide that seemed like the central idea to me. It, I mean, DeLille writes about sex a lot. And so to me, it was really, I, I felt like the, the story that he was drawn to is this idea of these estranged couple getting back together. And then in the middle of this estranged couple getting back together, the husband has an affair because of trauma and unrelated things to the original marriage and, and kind of that triangle. And how does that triangle go together? And that's what he wanted to write about. And oh, by the way, 9-11 happened too. The, the 9-11 is not even in some ways context or or the initiating action. It's it's just something that's kind of going on in the background. To me, I, I don't know, like the title Falling Man refers to this avant-garde performance artist who keeps recreating this scene of of the the man falling out of the towers and he has a harness and he appears randomly and whatever else and I kind of wonder if for Delillo like 911 is not to minimize him or or his emotional capacity or anything but like is 911 avant-garde performance art like he's re, he, he writes a lot about the visuals. He writes a lot about what it looked like. What did the towers look like? What did it look like on television? And he's responding to the images in like in a really aesthetic way, in a visual way, but not not in the body, not, not in a feeling corporeal sort of way. In like a 9-11 is this thing that happened on TV and it happened in the middle of this family drama that I'd like to write about.
0: One of the spaces in which you get to see the, the confusion or the distance, and I, 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 I want to say this must be deliberate on Delilo's part, is how the son of Keith and Leanne, the estranged, formerly estranged couple, the son, whose name is Justin, has these two friends and they, they go into, they, they sort of secrete themselves away from the adults and they say that there's a, a man who's, whose name is revealed, revealed as Bill Lawton, which we then learn is a sort of mis, a mishearing of bin Laden. And so they're looking for Bill Lawton to return on a plane and sort of recreate 9-11. And there are all of these little details like this, like the falling man is... is Kastner mentioned, these 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 performances and these ways in which 9-11 has sort of infected how people think, but they're so discombobulated and jumbled, it's hard to feel like they hang together or cohere in any sensible way. And if that's what he was going for, which is quite likely the case, and was certainly the case in other books that he's written. I mean, I, I felt that white noise understood the, the, the ways in which a thing like 9-11 could happen. but if, if it, So if that was deliberate, then I, I still I just don't understand what, what, what they're trying to say with this. Like, well, what was he trying to say with Falling Man? That 9-11 was traumatic?
1: I, 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 don't, I don't have an answer to that question for sure. But I, but I, I saw it also, I'm sure, I'm sure both of you did as well, in this, the still life paintings too, right? I mean, he took a delivery into the art itself, and then had these characters sort of seeing it in the art. And so the, the performative aspect of starting to put the, this, this I'm sorry, my dog is um, banging around in here. She's a, pup. She's a two-year-old pup, so it's kind of hard to, <laughs> I don't have the sign language yet with her to like say, Shh, you know, <laughs> um, but it, it seems like the, they're starting to see the, the two the towers and nine eleven in everything. It's interesting to me because it's sort of like nine eleven here in, in my life only seems to come up on anniversaries for the most part. I might think of it here and there, but it isn't a daily thing that I think of. And I wonder with the two of you like I didn't serve in Afghanistan, so I'm I'm sort of like, you know, the average American sort of reading this and not knowing Afghanistan. I've been in the military but I was never there. So how how does this book resonate to you, especially in a week where, like all of these faces of the fallen in Afghanistan are being shown on our, our our different friends' feeds and things? You know, I'm sure you're seeing these same things as well, right?
2: You raise a good point, Brian, which is that like like you say that you have an average American interaction with Afghanistan, and you have an average American's interaction with nine eleven. And I feel like that's what DeLillo is saying is that 9-11 was entertainment on television, but it was entertainment that wasn't entertaining. It was like an action movie that wasn't enjoyable and it was like icky. It was like it, it didn't feel right. And so it um, the note that I wrote is that like you ever see when um, uh, people will, will like put up a visually distorting or a visually off-putting image where like they write out the word purple, but the word purple is in a yellow font. Like it doesn't, it's disjointed. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make, it doesn't feel right. Like I, the word purple should be in purple font and the word yellow should be in yellow font, but they're, they're switched and it's like off putting to the human mind. And this is what 9 11 was. It was an action movie that wasn't entertaining. It, I, th- I think it, there's a certain amount of form follows function here. Like what did it feel like to be in New York? during 9-11. Well, it felt like I was living my life with my family. And there was this family drama. And by the way, the kids kept looking for images of the tower. And again, it's it's just visual. But I think this is the important thing. like Because it's postmodern, and here I want to tee up Adrian to go on about how postmodernism has ruined the novel and all of, I don't know, entertainment or something. Like, it doesn't mean anything more than that. There actually isn't anything else to find beyond the icky images and the occasional anniversary or whatever. The, the I Here's one note, like page 67, um, Leanne is talking about Keith. And Keith, she says, Keith stopped shaving for a time, whatever that means. Everything seemed to mean something. Their lives were in transition and she looked for signs. Even when she was barely aware of an incident, it came to mind later with meaning attached in sleepless episodes that lasted minutes or hours. She wasn't sure. But I, I think the first part of that sentence is the important part. He stopped shaving, whatever that means. Well, what does it mean? I don't think it means anything. I think that like Keith got back in her life and they had and then he had an affair and then he played a lot of poker and Leanne tried to find some meaning in being um, you know running a writing workshop and she kind of went through it and and Brian this goes back to what you're saying before and some of the getting in the head of the other um, uh, you know people on you know who did this to us I think some of that is pretty dated and feels pretty dated it was through a lens of like why do they hate us and the certain amount of exoticism that oh they were reading the Quran instead of the Bible and like I mean, that stuff doesn't age well. And I think fortunately for all of Americans' problems as we've gotten more secular, I think a lot of that stuff has faded and that's a good thing. Um, and so it's very much a product of its time, but he's still just representing it as, I don't know, the, the visual like flat. It, it's definitely like a, why do they hate us? And it's focused on us. There's not really any interiority with those characters is mostly focused on, how it might relate to the question of them hating us. And then it's kind of done. Like you say, it's pretty minimal. And then and then we move on to more images.
0: No, I mean, I, I agree with you. I, you know, I've I've been on this Afghanistan or GWAT in general, sort of like the post the first postmodern war kick for a long time um, since it occurred to me. I think in conversation with you. Uh, a couple of years ago or, or in conversation with you and Mike Carson, it sort of it came together for me and part of that was you know a response to the literary and cultural milieu of the of America in the 1990s and what was the zeitgeist that was animating us after the Cold War. Um, and, and all of the thinkers and all of the writers uh, were, were speaking in you know a purely humanistic postmodern language that applied, Best to places and spaces like apartments in New York City and Los Angeles, very well-educated places, ambitious places, places of vision, and they didn't leave a lot of room or space for com- truly competing visions. And I think you're exactly right that one. It's just occurring to me now that like one of the reasons the uh, the terrorist plot falls a little bit flat is it doesn't capture the alienness to a place where people are thinking about everything that they're talking and thinking about and what the other characters are thinking and talking about, which they have to talk and think about, um, constantly. Um, so that's, that's the postmodern thing, everything that you say or think and think about other people thinking about you is important and necessary and requires, you know, all of everybody's attention always versus, in this particular case, and you know, to, to, to your point about you know the the Orientalization of it, or like so sort of the, the xenophobia of it on a certain level, you know, the uh, the Quran, the man who reads the Quran, and now his life is on a, a certain path, and it's really much more about modernism versus postmodernism. The terrorist whose uh, whose name is Hamad is talking, you know, he he orders his life manically. To the point where everything revolves around a one particular meaning which happens to be this thing that we all know sort of you know the meaning of jihad the meaning of a holy war or a religious war and it it is you know very dated and it feels you know of its time reading this I knew almost immediately that I was reading DeLillo but I also felt like I was reading Franzen and I felt like I was reading David Foster Wallace and I felt like I was back in that moment where you had to think all the time about everything that everybody was thinking and saying, and that all had, you know, a special meaning apart from whatever universalizing thing was, you know, operating. And we, we sort of forgot how to write narrative. And so the terrorist subplot, you know, in a way doesn't work. It works only because we know it happened that way. But if this were a book that was just imagining terrorists, I don't know that I, I would read it. And I'd be like, I don't, Think terrorists think that way. So he's just gonna get in a plane and that's what he's gonna do. Cause some a veteran of the Iraq war said that he was like troubled by the fact that he shot kids or something. Like, I don't know. I don't, I guess so. I guess he would probably do it. Um, uh, and that's the problem with postmodernity in general. Like, that's the problem with with where we are today, as um, I think as a culture that completely and utterly failed to understand a country that we spent 20 years in to the point where. The country basically voted, not everybody, but overwhelmingly to go with the Taliban. They voted by surrendering or negotiating, or most of them not leaving. Many of them did leave, including friends of ours, or are trying to leave. And, and I, I don't mean to minimize their struggle at all. What I do mean to say is that you know we have a responsibility for it. And the people who are responsible for that, ultimately, are the people who, like Keith, were occupying positions of wealth and privilege and power, and to whom it was easier to retreat into their understanding of themselves or how they were affected by it, rather than how everything that we would do would affect people in the Middle East in their context, not in our sort of imagining of it.
1: You, you know, there's a, um, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but Coetzee, um, do you not pronounce his name? Does anybody... Yeah, because what I love about his books, um, that's the, the, the underlying story here, is that triangle that Kastner talked about. And it reminds me of the, the failed protagonists in most of Kutzi's work. Where, except in Kutzi's work, it's always the degradation of the body and middle age tearing down. But here, it's in the interior life that's fragmented and broken into pieces in this attempt to try to put it back together somehow. You know, early in, the no- in this novel, it says, uh, there was something critically missing from the things around him. Right, as he 's walking out of the dust and rubble of nine eleven and that seems like the the call to the book is to there was something critically missing from the things around it and so and the book's written in all these like frat, these little vignettes all the way through the, the one of the things I liked about it is the, the way in terms of like aesthetically is that the vignettes I really felt like I was sort of floating i didn 't feel like I was on a track you know just sort of going along I, I, I knew we were going to go back you, you quickly see how how it works, but there's, you know, these different um, narratives that are taking place that are chopped up and, and put together. But, but it, I did feel sort of like I was floating through the whole book a little bit. And that, that seems kind of like uh, this... And, and that, that makes me wonder, like, is that why the book resolves back and this goes back into the dust and all that? Because that's the only place where things, even though things were critically missing, that's the only place where things all... Because the sentences start spooling out and unraveling in those two, at the very end and in the very beginning. And in the rest of the book, it's all fragments and pieces and, and and lots of chopped up sentences. It is in those parts too, but they seem to spool out more. There there are points where he talks about other people, and he'll he'll even he changes the fragmentation interior. He'll use like sentences as lists, little short sentences, bonk, da 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 da, she was da da da, she was da da da, da she was like those kinds of things. Uh, so it seems like this like a performance of trauma.
2: Yeah, that that's interesting. I'm I'm. Uh... I'll Let me answer your question, then I want to go back to you, Turner, and ask the question in like a slightly different way. To me, I admit, like those portions in the tower, to me felt like, it felt like he had watched a lot of television of what happened in the towers. And then as he was watching the videos, he was like typing out what he saw you know, like almost like a reporter. I, I guess I didn't, I didn't feel the emotion there. I felt like that was still being reported. And to go back to something Adrian said, I really like white noise. I feel like the dread and the the malevolence and the threat of the airborne toxic event is what makes that book. And I, I just don't feel that in 9-11 in this book. And I'm I'm not sure why. So let me give a just a counter and then I'll go back to you, Brian. So to me, the part of this book, and it, but it is with trauma, the part of the book that feels most right is when Keith feels compelled to seek out Florence because he's been carrying her briefcase and he doesn't know why he has the briefcase, but he opens it and he figures out that it's her and then... He takes it to her and they just sit and talk and they have this connection because they were both in the towers and they both work there and they could, uh, I forget exactly what he says, but he talks about, Keith talks about how they could just recite for hours a play-by-play essentially of everything that happened to them that day. And it didn't matter how many times they said it and how small the detail was, they could go back over it and over it and over it. And I guess because... I was just in Kabul, <laughs> you know, when the city fell, and i just I just got out, and I have a few people that I just got out with. We're doing that right now. Like we are spending hours talking about the tiny minutiae details of like what minute by minute happened. And I feel this connection with these people because of that. To me, that part really works. this idea he's got this briefcase. It reminds me of this great opening scene in. Um, the beginning of Saving Private Ryan, where they're on the beach and the guy has his arm blown off and he's like wandering around the beach and he look, looks for his arm and then like picks it up and carries it away. Like that that need to be like attached to this thing and not sure why. That's the part of the book that feels truest emotionally and actually not the visuals. So I guess I'll go back to you, Brian. Why, why does the beginning and the end, why does that work best for you?
1: Oh, I didn't, I'm didn't. i not sure if that worked best for me. I just noticed that that was how he used fragmentation throughout the, the middle part of the book. But he does a swirling sort of longer, which makes sense because there's this billowing out of the clouds and those people pouring out. So it's a it's a, a pouring motion, right? And then he does that in both the, the end caps, you know, but the, the interior of the book is all these sort of fragments where it's floating. And I did enjoy the sort of floating sort of feel. But um, now that you say that, you know, I... I don't know how it is for you all, but I'm I'm terrible at, at starting out with a book project and writing that book, and then that's the book that gets that's that I share with the world. <laughs> so you know, I've written one novel about the wall, then it ended up being the thing about a space thing. I wrote another book, a sci-fi book, then I ended up writing kind of a memoir out of that, that is now something I'm working on. I I was pulled in in terms of the people and not the historical stuff. Like artistically, I can see the grand vision was like, oh yes, right, the big historical thing. And that's what he went with instead of like where the heart of the book might be.
2: Well, but then, but then to go to Adrian's point, Delillo's brilliant. So he means to do this. So if he were listening to this podcast right now and heard all of these descriptions and some critiques, do you think he'd nod his head Adrian and say like, yeah, that's what I meant. Like I I did mean that nine 11 was a visual experience and I did mean for it to billow and float in these various points. And I did mean that it really didn't mean much besides it was on TV when we were all living the rest of our lives and thinking about these other things.
0: I think so. And maybe he, he also he wrote it when we were still pretty close to it and it wasn't clear what the consequences were, although increasingly the consequences looked like they were going to be uh, not make us look good in the long term. Bringing up white noise again, this idea and, and, and postmodernity in general and the postmodernity of the 1990s. These are things that had been on people's mind for some time, what you know what a visual experience was like versus a lived experience, what a lived experience was like, what the the consequences of it were. Um, I, there was a a, a phrase, there's a, a a bit that uh, jumped out to me when Leanne and Keith are sort of trying to put things back together and they're having conversations about it. And one thing that Keith says is, we don't have so much to say. We used to say everything all the time. We examined everything, all the questions, all the issues. It practically killed us. As a couple, they keep trying to individually and collectively reimagine an idea of family. And, and they talk about it too deliberately like husband, wife, son, father, mother like this is who we are. And they can't even do that, which makes me think that because I feel too, at the end, it's, it's possible. There's, there's like some small implication that the wife has decided to just sort of actually end it with, with Keith. Keith is off playing poker again. And she's like, I can, be al- I can be alone with my son again. I don't need the husband. And so the, the question of who we are and what we stand for, which was unresolved at the time, is you know, something that seems beyond them. Also, we bear a kind of collective responsibility for this not just failure to know who we are, but a failure to sort of say and be who we are. Maybe the book really is just about like the catastrophe of 9-11, which is both the bad thing that happened, but then the the, the great moral catastrophe that happened afterwards, which which was that we failed to come together in in a meaningful way. We... Orientalized and otherized to these people who maybe we could have helped in some way, but certainly not the way we, we, we tried to in Iraq or Afghanistan. We certainly failed. You know, Iraq is now essentially a, a, a puppet for a puppet state for Iran, and Afghanistan is ruled by the Taliban. There's another thing, you know, only because Kastner, you mentioned things that were emotionally resonant to you. I, although this component was not emotionally resonant to me. It was very interesting, and I found myself drawn to it. I didn't quite buy into it, but the mother Leanne's mother's relationship with Martin, who's an art dealer and possibly a terrorist himself in a former life, like maybe a far-right terrorist in Germany. He's, he's from another country. He talks at one point about something he says the Germans call Gedanken über Traugung or the broadcasting of thoughts. When everyone agrees about a thing, slowly it becomes true. And he says, soon the day is coming when nobody has to think about America except for the danger it brings. It is losing the center. It becomes the center of its own shit. This is the only center it occupies. And he's talking about like the global phenomenon of people looking at America and saying, America is the enemy. The enemy is not, you know, whatever's attacking America. They're the good ones in some way, shape or form. Which is a very, very long, circuitous and roundabout way of saying, if this is an effective book at showing all of those things, I still don't like it very much. <laughs> so it's a well-written book that I'm, I just, I'm not sure that I like, and I think that's okay.
2: I feel like that's a good segue to, if we're, if we're going to make it about the last 20 years overall, I think we're obligated to ask, Turner, where were you on 9-11? Were you already in the army? And then how did you get to Iraq soon afterwards? Because Falling Man, this book ends with protests against the upcoming Iraq war.
1: Yeah, I was, um, I was already in the military. And I, um, I actually, I'd been in since 98. And so I'd been to Bosnia before that. And then I'd come back and then I went from um, Fort Drum. I, I transferred and got a new, signed a new contract and was a sergeant in um, Fort Lewis, Washington. So I was up near Seattle in Tacoma. And I lived in Tacoma, and on 9-11, I was, um, or a brief side note, I guess I should say, I saw those protests, the anti-war protests, from a hotel room, and I was um, sleeping with a woman up in this hotel room that I didn't know very well. And to be honest, it was very much something like in this book. And it, it was very bizarre to be a soldier who didn't want, didn't, I, I, didn't ha- I didn't have the pieces put together, but I thought the war that I was about to go to was wrong. Use that word in a big sense. I mean, just as a big fuzzy wrong because I couldn't figure out all the details of it. But I was staring down from about like 20 flights up at the Westin Hotel, I think it was, and I was looking out the window and watching the parade going through the streets, and and thinking, you know, how I, I couldn't go down there and protest with them, even and things like it was a very complicated moment. But before that, when 9/11 happened, I was with the, the Striker Brigade that was the first one to deploy to to Iraq. So you know, Shinseki had um there was that new movement in the military to start these striker brigades and stuff and so we were the first ones outfitted with them and stuff and we were using canadian labs on on loan while ours were being built and stuff and finished up and then they were sent to us and we're practicing it was weird in this book it talked there's a line something like what is it uh, what old dead wars we fight it's a repetitive sort of thing that happens each war i think that we fight the last war and all that and all of us probably went to uh NTC and did the training out in the desert against the Soviet military prepping to go to Iraq or Afghanistan, you know, and it was, it was like these brigade push-throughs and hind helicopters and all this stuff. And we should have walked into Seattle and just went through the streets and tried to figure out how you walk down a street in a city. But on 9-11, when it happened, I, I was driving into, into the post, uh, I didn't have the radio on or I was listening to music or something. I didn't know it was going on at all or it happened because um, we were three hours behind. And the gates were locked, and I tried really hard to get in, you know, because I didn't want to be misformation and all that. If I had, I would have been stuck at home for about three or four days because they just locked it up. What ended up happening is our unit, I had a bizarre kind of 9-11 experience, Was is I was out, the base closed down, and it's this huge base. So there's forests and training areas like all these large bases, and there's little dirt roads, and there, there are a lot of, like, meth labs out there and chop shops where they take um, stolen cars from Tacoma and Seattle and they go out there and chop them up and then sell the parts off of them and leave them out there. And We, we would find them every year during the spring cleanup of the post, you know? And um, so we're out at one of these dirt roads, just me and my squad leader and uh, a couple a couple guys. And we have a Humvee, it's cold. This is, this is a couple of months in, but it's, real, it's connected to 9-11 because we had to start doing post security immediately. As, as if that post was, immediate. we didn't know if we'd be attacked, right? So we have one roll of concertina wire across this dirt road. We have a box of MREs, a Humvee with a vinyl top. We've got one heater in there, which we'd switch off to whoever's going to sit there and kind of get warm. And we were just bored. And so I think we had um, a nine millimeter with some rounds in, it, you know, one magazine of rounds. And we're defending America, doing our thing, but bored, right? So I remember... Uh, the squad leader, he, he said, Forsman, walk out to the road. And so the Forsman walks out. And then he made his hand into a pistol and goes, bang, I just shot you. That should hurt. And so the Forsman starts crying out. He said, you'd probably fall down. As people shoot you, you usually fall down. So he falls down. And then he's screaming in pain out on this dirt road. Not shot, but imaginatively, right? And so the squad leader tells the rest of us to get the, there's a, a winch on the front of the vehicle. He says, you need to recover him. So we get the winch and go out there and hook it onto his gear. And then we slowly drag him towards the vehicle on this winch. And I just remember thinking, like, is this what, what it's going to be like? Like, it's just going to be absurd. And everything from all of my training experiences were pretty much like that. I was training to fight against the Russians. And we were doing, like, crazy weird things in between those moments. And, like, what the hell is combat going to be like? What 9-11 was going to s- propel me into combat... I had no idea what I was going into,
2: and it turns out you were right. war was absurd and I'm, <laughs> but uh, so so how quickly did nine 11, for you personally did nine eleven become about Iraq if you were in Shinseki's 's first striker brigades and you knew you were going to the
1: initial to well, the initial kickoff, so how quick was that see that 's the thing we, we couldn 't make the initial invasion because we had to wait for our, to, to get the gear and to get certified. And I think because a lot of careers were on the line with that new idea, they wanted to make sure that we were really squared away and it didn't just fail right off the bat, right? Because they had a whole bunch of these units lined up after that to be made. We were, in the, we were the first replacements. We, we ended up, I crossed the border in Iraq um, on the 3rd of December, 2003. We were among the first groups to replace the, the invasion units. We had too much gear. They were sending us so much stuff. We had, we had the best sight systems, whatever the you know, special forces had, we had those. We had, we had all the gear. Unlike you know, what you're hearing from some of the in, invasion units of having to weld on stuff and people sending them pistols and stuff and all that. Um, it was the opposite. We put stuff in, inside the storage containers because we didn't want to be responsible for paying when they got lost or broken or something because we just had and too much shit to carry. I, you know, to answer your question though, I, I had two wars that I might go to and I didn't know which one. And I was reading about both and I was trying to get poetry and things like that to kind of understand the culture of these places. But I was reading mostly about Afghanistan. I think because I was hoping we would go to Afghanistan because I felt among the two, it seemed like there might be some reason that we're going there that I could understand. And the other one just seemed really fishy. It just didn't smell right. you know. And then uh, we got orders to go to Iraq and there we went.
2: I have learned as as I've gotten older what kind of a bizarre 9-11 experience I had, especially when it comes to Iraq. I'll be like counterfactuals and counterintuitive and counter the narrative. So like I got to Saudi Arabia in August of 2001 and I was the uh, NBC guy for Prince Sultan Air Base, uh, south of Riyadh. So um, our unit, I was the commander as a young lieutenant and we you know, were in charge of chemical warfare and biological warfare and nukes if it came to it. And so the, one of the very first things that happened when I arrived in August of 01, uh, and this was for Operation Southern Watch, by the way, which everyone forgets, the US Air Force was bombing um, Saddam and, and his stuff for a decade, essentially, from, from 1991 all the way to 2001. So I go to the super secret squirrel intel guys And when I first arrive, and I say, I need a brief on what the threat is. And my super secret Intel brief again, August of '01, was that Saddam Hussein still had a chemical weapons program. He still had a biological weapons program. He had scud missiles full of anthrax that were buried in the mountains, North of Baghdad, uh, and that it was ready to be used on our air base at any time. On the morning, 9-11 happened. Well, it wasn't a morning for me. It was the afternoon. It was on TV, I guess, to go back to DeLillo. I told the guys watching TV, like, hey, change the channel. Like, we're not going to watch a movie here. You shouldn't have a movie on, like, during the workday. And they said it wasn't a movie. It was what was actually happening. But as that was happening, I had to go to a brief at the wing because that morning, Saddam had shot down a Predator. And we were going to be starting a new bombing campaign, like a big one in Iraq, because Saddam shot down this predator and like we had to knock out his surface to air missile capability in southern Iraq. So, like, I remember asking my commander in that briefing on 9-11, like, hey, are we going to start? Is this we're about to start a war? Is it starting in Afghanistan or is it starting in Iraq? And the answer I got from the general was we don't know yet. It could be both. I understand the whole Bush lied, Cheney lied, they made up the intelligence, Colin Powell made up the stuff at the UN and like everything else. The month before 9-11, the official, official mainstream Air Force intelligence line was massive chemical and biological weapons threat, which is why I had a job in Saudi Arabia. It's just the whole thing has always been... So confused and mixed up in my mind, I guess, from the very beginning. I don't have a question or a point with that. Just a, the moral clarity, Brian, that you have, and I know that, Adrian, that you had, I want to hear about what you were doing. Like to know in the beginning, I'd I should be protesting this war. I just, I never had that because of how it started for me.
0: I got a quick question about that. Has it ever occurred to you that you're one of the people who was responsible for 9-11 because you were one of the infidels in the Holy Land that Bin Laden used to recognize yes. the
2: Yes. Oh, no, this was a conversation my wife had immediately. Like, we we we're, were the ones in the land of the two holy places. Like, And we, I mean, it's kind of funny you say, Brian, like, um, you know, uh, Fort Lewis is a threat, like, or, you know, they're going to attack us here. I mean, obviously, we thought they were going to attack us in Saudi Arabia because we were, you know, we were the reason that there was a problem. Absolutely, I thought that. Yeah, yeah.
0: And I should be clear; I don't actually think you were personally responsible in any way, shape, or form. But I, I just, just to to, to clarify that, um, because the people who are responsible are the terrorists who flew the planes into the buildings, you know, you have to, this is, this is a sort of another failing of postmodernity is that like, we can say, we can assign responsibility for this, but that doesn't mean that the people who flew the planes into the towers then therefore become cardboard cutouts. You know, I think we, I think there's a desire to, to make them villainous or make them into villains and kind of constrain them as characters or as individuals because they've done this awful thing but then you lose something and it's not an either, or it's not, you know, like, well, it's either it's our fault, fault, or it isn't our fault. It's both. And to, you know, to tell my nine 11 story very quickly, I was a college student. I was doing my laundry. Um, I was at home doing my laundry no less because I could do it for free there. I could save a few bucks. And so my dad ran into my room, and said, Adrian, New York is under attack. That's how he phrased it. He said, New York is under attack. Nobody knew in the, at first what was going on. And so I it was, a, I don't remember the day exactly, but for, for whatever reason, I didn't have a class that day. I'd, I'd cleared out my schedule. So I watched on TV like everybody else that day. And then I, I, met, I met up with my friends at one of my friend's uh, apartments, Eric Nelson, a contributor to The Road Ahead. Uh, We met up at his place and, you know, ran through a box of wine, uh, a case of wine, I should say. And then later that week, I tried to make my way down to 9-11. I just took a hopped on a a train and uh, tried to get down there to see the towers. And by that time, there were all these checkpoints. You just couldn't get close to the place. It's one thing to say this is how it was at the time, um, which is very confused. And it's another thing to say, you know, what is the significance of this thing? And, and for I think one of the reasons, you know, we're talking about this. We all have clear memories of where we were. And I, I don't know about y'all, but I, when it happened at the time, it seemed pretty clear at that moment that we were watching something that was going to be transformative. It wasn't going to be something that was forgotten a week later or a month later or a year later. It was going to be significant. And it's strange to me, just to shift gears a little bit and go back to the book, I guess a little bit, but also the narrative of 9-11. The thing that I see written about more than any other thing is the falling man and not the fictional performance art, but the photo, which was only around, I think was only in circulation for like a couple days afterwards. It was like the the, the morning of nine of the day after uh, uh, it was, you could see, you know, there were photos of the man who was falling off the building. And then the only other time I've ever seen it like in print or, in any type of online medium is when an article was written about it in Esquire, I think 2014 or 2015, and writing about the phenomenon of the falling man. And the falling man too is another sort of like modern idea. It's not a postmodern idea. And that's one of the reasons it's, it's so sort of arresting, I think, is because it's a person who faced with the inevitability of death, makes some type of choice, takes, takes the last shred of agency they have as a human being and says here's how it's going to happen for me I can collapse in the building or I can jump or I can jump into the fire or so I'm going to jump is what I'm going to do and at the same time that it's horrifying here's this person who's falling it's also you know this radical act of affirmation of self you know that that left to let when nothing when everything else is gone from you and you have one last choice to make you, you say i'm going to do the thing with some sort of dignity in, in in my way that's how i'm going to do it i don't feel that that's a 9 11 story because 9 11 is what we have all just talked about it's how it lives in our memories and that's not satisfying as a book and it's not satisfying as really anything and it, it, it sucked as a casus belli and it's you know, given birth to this awful many-headed hydra of all these contracting groups. And, and Brian, I know you've lived in that world and I don't wanna speak ill of it, but like some of the things that you see with the contractors, things that shouldn't come out of a democracy.
2: Let me just say two quick things because I wanna agree with Turner and then, and then hand it over, which is that, I mean, to respond to what you're saying about the falling man, to go back to the book, one is this era, which I I think the 9-11 era is over with the fall of Kabul um, and 20 years, we're moving into something new. I don't know what that is now. But the opening image of that is the falling man and the closing image of that is the kids falling off the C-17 when they were trying to jump in the wheel well as they're trying to escape Kabul. And I think that The similarity there is I am trying to escape something so awful, I'm going to take this massive risk. And one thing is obviously uh, jumping out of the World Trade Center will lead to your death. I don't, those kids who jumped on the C-17 are not stupid. I don't think they, I I think they knew what was coming unfortunately, and they were simply that desperate, you know, and that said in some ways things haven't changed being so uh, desperate to escape this terrible situation. But then I wanna just go back to Brian Turner's original point from the beginning of this podcast, which if, if if that agency and having that choice is like just the most fundamentally human and modern thing to do, then this is a human modern book because Turner's right. This book is really about Leanne's father's suicide and Leanne's father's the falling man. He's the one that makes the choice and has the agency in all of this. I don't know what, what kind of like that puts the book in.
1: It's interesting because it, I, I think, and he does it, he does he commits suicide in the agencies because he doesn't want to, he wants to remember her. He wants to, right? It's because he doesn't want to lose um, memory. And, and that, that gets to that one line that I mentioned earlier, this, uh, what is it? There's something critically missing from the things around him, right? Because he's like lost his life. He can't recall it he's trying to remember his life and get put it back together so I'm on the pieces and so that seems like another theme and dementia is is prevalent in my own family so on a, di- a completely different level this book um, was really meaningful for me uh, my, my sister is known as a kind of dementia sherpa she's a professional in the field and she helps flip um, wings of dementia wards and stuff to try to make them um, more healthier places to be and stuff And in my own family, you know, as they were talking about, she's thinking about her own life and uh, morphology and things like that. These words that come up, you know, like my grandfather and my grandmother had different versions of it. I don't want to say right now, but there's some very close personal family members that do or appear to. And so it's, uh, you know, I have to look at myself and think in a similar way to Leanne and think, you know, is that my future as well? You know, what agency will I have if that comes to be? And that way, the book is talking about memory and what are we going to remember? And if we take it out to the larger scale of the, the, the big historical moment, um, and it seems, I don't, I don't know how it feels to you, you guys, but it, it, it's felt a bit like we've, we've been waging war for so long generationally now that it's become, and, and I've said this before, but it's become like an autonomic nervous system kind of thing. Like it's not something we have to think about. But this this last month, suddenly we were our heads were plunged underwater. We had to start thinking about breathing, and and, then we, and we, we suddenly suddenly there was a change in the narrative. And I think that gets to that the fighting in the novel when they they're fighting and it's, they got they fought themselves out or they couldn't talk to each other anymore. And it felt I don't know how it was in your families, but it was like that. And my own families, you know, in, in my own family, uh, in the late two thousands, you know, as the word going on for a while, t- say two thousand seven around there, seems like. My my friends and I we all knew where we stood politically on all these things. We'd already talked it all out, but the story didn't stay, didn't change. There was a bombing at this bus stop. There was a killing at this marketplace. There was some city that we'd never heard of. Twenty seven people injured and three killed, and a different number of injured and killed each time, but the same. And, and so then you know, television just turned it off, and it was no longer uh, no longer part of the conversation because the narrative never changed, and finally. You know, Adrian, I know you wrote a piece, I think it was for BuzzFeed earlier this past week or so. Maybe I have that wrong, but um, that was an amazing piece that you wrote um, talking about the sort of, I don't want to summarize that people should go to the article, but I don't know if you're able to put links and stuff with these. Maybe you can put a link to the article. There have been a couple of pieces on these two wars, so if we, if we separate them a bit. And there, there are other places around the globe that are still in conflict or have been, so that, you know, I don't want to diminish where that they are, you know? But of the two major wars, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, Ben Bush had that piece that he wrote for Harper's, which for me was pretty phenomenal. Just the, what he came out of it, realizing that, that he, nobody remembered him, you know? And that, that chapter and that, that way of seeing it anew, really, um, you know, it was really meaningful and powerful to me to think back and think, you know, does, it was powerful, that year in my life will be unforgettable. But I'm completely forgettable for a lot of people that I was there trying to, in some ways, try to help, like to, trying to guard civilian um, uh, folks going into this school to just make sure that they, they were getting a new roof on the school. You know, the sort of civilian building project. You know, the, the feel good story that doesn't seem to show up in the newspapers. All that hard work, that kind of stuff. Where does that go? And then, and and I hope you don't. I, I know I'm stretching this out a bit, but was circling back to those. I keep seeing these faces in my social media feeds of, of the fallen soldiers who died in Afghanistan, especially um, this past week and, and part of this month. And um, and I don't think people, we're, just, we're still trying to figure out what to make sense of it. So like, they're all kind of the falling man in a sense, you know, and it's like, what do we make sense of their, their blood and their sweat and their tears, you know?
0: And maybe the problem with falling man is that it really, again, was just, it wasn't too close to 9-11. It, it's that 9-11 didn't mm. end until very recently. If it's ended, I, I hope that it has. So we, we haven't really even known how to remember it. The memories have, have been so personalized. And they always will be, but like, there's no way to step back from it and say, 9-11 was on a certain level this, or 9-11 was on a certain level that. And without that, you are left with, with far too many particular stories. And when you have too many of them, what that means is that you don't really have any of them. If every story, if everybody's story is the story of their marriage, or the story of where they were when 9-11 happened, or the story of how this happened, et cetera, et cetera, then you, you, there's nothing to hold on to. It's too much. It falls through your fingers. One of the cliches of talking about war literature in the in 9-11, post-9-11 slash GWAT, Context is like when is the great novel of these conflicts going to going to be written or going to happen? Like who knows? Maybe never. Um, maybe it already has, and we, people just haven't kind of found it yet. Maybe it's going to be written 50 years from now by somebody who lives in Russia, like Tolstoy's great great grandson. Who knows? We're just very very close to it, and it's still happening. The last thing I'll say on this subject, Brian uh, Turner, responding to your point about dementia, is that. Dementia is a word that we assign to a host of neurological, neurologically degenerative conditions and diseases that tend, not exclusively, it affects every human, but tend to affect uh, Northern and Western Europeans for whatever reason. There's some evidence that this is the case because uh, Northern and Western Europeans have been living longer for than other parts of the globe for more, and we have more data on those lives than any other, so we can actually measure it. And it's not a question of like, whether this is actually a thing that affects us at greater numbers, or that's just kind of what the data has says, because that's the data that we have on hand. Um, But I think many, you know, many families of people who look like us are affected by dementia. And it's certainly the case that it was, you know, this is the case in my family as well. I only wanted to bring that up because, my father's father and my mother's father, both of whom were in World War II, both suffered more so in my father's case, less so in my, uh, my father's father's case, less so in my mother's father's case from dementia. My, gra- my mother's father was in the earliest part of it. And my father's father was sort of, he was getting a more, he, was, he had a more advanced case. And this, they still remembered what happened to them in World War II with perfect, clarity when they were forgetting the names of the people around them. They would talk to me when they, I, it would they, my father's father died when I was in the military. So I, he would talk with me about that and would share stories, but that was 100% clear to me. And he told me stories that he had never told uh, to anyone else in the family, because I'm sure first, partly because he remembered them in a way that he hadn't, but also probably because it was sort of safe for him to do that.
2: Yeah, and I guess I just had this. Exp- I just had another similar experience where I, my observation with talking to people, who escaped Kabul as part of this evacuation, is that it's overwhelming because there's a density of stories, and everybody has a story that they should write a novel about, and you wouldn't believe any of them. And this is what happens in the wars, and this is what happens in these like, um, like like you'd said before, Adrian, when when 9/11 was happening, you were sure that it was not something, it wasn't just a passing news story. It was going to be, it was going to be around for a really long time. I guess my final thought then is it is a, out of all of those densities of stories, the one that DeLillo chose to write was a family story about a mother and father maybe coming back together, but maybe also having an affair and maybe also playing poker. And and that's the one that he picked and and they keep encountering this artist. Like there are, of all the stories to choose that was it I'm, I guess I
1: still don't know what to make of that then <laughs> but by the end of it but um <laughs> you, you might be in a unique position to to write that I, you are in a unique position to write a really profound book that and in the way you you know I hadn't put those two together the the two the, the boys you know falling from the plane they're like the soccer player and but I was also thinking, I'm not sure if it was the two of you, I think it was the two of you earlier on a, for, uh, an earlier podcast, you, you talked about Alexievich, I think at one point, I mean, that might be a way towards something that might be, it's still a catalog and catalogs are always going to be inconclusive, but you know, I'm not, they're going to be incomplete, you know, but, but that, that feeling that you get of oral testimony across a wide range can, can really do a lot of and those oral projects and things like that too. I think there's one connected to 9-11 as well.
0: You're right having talked about it a lot, I, I knew there was a lot to it. I'm still not sure that I like it, but as always with DeLillo, it's uh, extraordinarily well-written and meticulously crafted. And I think if there, if there are flaws in the book's conceit, it's flaws with the setting and he tackled, uh, an extraordinary event and, and just, just an F, any effort to, uh, to understand or create a narrative framework for 9-11 and what 9-11 is and means is a a really ambitious undertaking. So I I, I certainly couldn't do it, not with with any degree of uh, sincerity. Falling Man, recommended.
2: Well, if we're doing final thoughts, my final thought is that if you want to read a DeLillo book that's full of dread and threat, uh, read White Noise instead. Um, And then, but then at the same time, I'll cut DeLillo slack because as we went looking for what book to read about 9-11, there's actually a dearth of books. There's a real shortage, and maybe that says something about the challenge of doing it at all. So I will, uh, like you said, Brian, um, you admire his ambition to even try to take it on. I mean, we've all written multiple books about wars. I'm not sure I don't know writing writing a book about 9/11 feels way more daunting than write a book about the wars that we've all been writing about. So, I will give him credit for doing that, but I would still recommend other books out of the DeLillo canon.